The following episode was recorded live on YouTube for Adulting.TV Live. Welcome to Adulting, the podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at Adulting.TV. TV live. Miranda and I are here with Tara Falcone from Rise Up. Tara, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. Tell me a little bit about you and Rise Up. Sure. So um, I am a certified financial planner and I'm also a former Wall Street investment analyst and now founder of Rise Up, which is a um, early stage financial services company that aims to increase investing education and access for everyday investors. And I kind of started it because I had no financial background when I first started working at a hedge fund in New York City and um, kind of quickly realized that, you know, these topics and this information isn't really that difficult. It's just that most people have never had any sort of exposure to it growing up. They've never been formally educated about it. And I, you know, decided that I didn't want to serve our kind of very wealthy clientele anymore. Rather, I wanted to serve people like my friends and family where I come from, like very rural Midwest Michigan, uh, to figure out their 401ks and help them make money with their money by investing. Yeah, so by early stage, you mean people who have never invested before? Uh, Early stage meaning I kind of just started this business about a year ago and have been sort of laying the foundation for uh, what will hopefully be a much larger platform in the next year or two. Oh, fantastic. You had to adult at an early age. What What's going on? What happened in your life that kind of set you on a path that was different than ever, than your friends? I did. Um, unfortunately, I wish it was, you know, under better circumstances, but my father ended up passing away when I was 13 years old and he was the breadwinner in our family. And um, he was only 36 years old when he passed and I was, I was 13. So um, my stepmom and I were kind of left to pick up the pieces financially and, um, you know, emotionally to support each other and to support myself. I had to start working when I was about 14 years old. Um, and you know, that led to a lot of challenges in terms of balancing schoolwork and, uh, work and the things that I wanted to do versus the things that I needed to do. But it, it taught me a lot along the way. And I think that it, it prepared me really well for college and for life after college. So what kind of working were you doing when you were 14? Uh, when I was 14, I was slinging ice cream at the local ice cream shop. It was the one that I had always grown up going to with my father, actually. So it was a really cool kind of uh, full circle thing that ended up happening. I did that for about two years. And then I um, was a waitress at a local diner called Big Boy. And so I used to like wait on basically everybody that I knew in my town because I'm from a really tiny town in Michigan. And that included a lot of my peers in high school, which got awkward sometimes. But um you know, taught you to be humble, you know, very early on in life. So uh, it all worked out. I actually really enjoyed the kind of food service industry. I like being social and interacting with people and making sure people are happy. So it worked out. It was, they were both fun jobs. What did your friends think uh, while you were working and they were doing whatever they were doing? Uh, a lot of my friends obviously like didn't understand it. I think that, you know, at least conceptually, they all knew what I had gone through and they were extremely supportive of me through that journey. Um, but you know, when it came time to inviting me to do something like go to the beach during the summer, I'd have to say, no, sorry, I have a shift. And you know, that's, that's what I have to do because I have to make money to put gas in my tank to go back to work. You know, that was 
kind of the cycle that I was in. When you find yourself kind of forced to adult at that kind of a young age and, and help support your family, like what are some of the things that you learned early on about money as you were kind of going through this? Because uh, because um, you know I, I look at my 14 and a half year old son and he does okay, you know, with the the allowance that he gets and you know tracking his spending using his little debit card, but. <laughs> But I can't even imagine him being able to handle things on the level that you had to handle them uh, and and kind of being partially responsible for your family's finances. Mm-hmm. So so what did you learn about money? What did it kind of force you to learn about money as you were doing this? Well, actually, Miranda, I know that your son has an investment account. So he is far and away, like further than I was um, at that point. I didn't understand anything about investing. I didn't know what investing was. Uh, so I think that, you know, he's, he's doing a really good job and you're obviously doing a great job as a, as a mother helping him with that. But, um, I learned a lot, you know, from basic budgeting in terms of how to prioritize the money, the little money I was making. I mean, back then I was making $2 and 65 cents an hour as a waitress and then tips were on top of that. And luckily I was a pretty good waitress. So, you know, on a good night, I would make 10 to $15 an hour in tips, um, which, you know, as a, as a 15, 16 year old was okay. Um, but you know, it, it taught me the value of a dollar first and foremost, because growing up, I think you, you sort of assume that money grows on trees. Um, I have a little sister now who says like the funniest things. And she said something about, Oh mom, like, can't you just put it on the credit card? Um, you know, and then you don't have to pay for it. Or can I borrow the credit card? So then you don't have to pay for it. And she told her, no, like you still have to pay for the things that you buy or purchase with the credit card. And her eyes got so big, like she could not believe that you actually, you know, actually have to pay off your credit card bill. You're just delaying that expense into the future. And so, um, you know, from basic budgeting to prioritizing the money um, to even like interviewing, because I had to then fill out job applications and go interview for them. And those are things that a lot of people don't do until they're, you know, near the end of their college experience or getting out of college. And, um, you know, having to pay for car insurance, like I was paying for my own car insurance, I was paying for any repairs that I had to have, I was doing my own oil changes to save money. My grandpa taught me how to do an oil change. And he happened to have like, this awesome um, barn that had a a pit in it so that you could drive your car over and go under and and do your own oil changes. So um, I think it taught me a lot about what I can do myself, how much my time is worth, how much other people's time is worth. And, you know, what I want to do with every single dollar to make sure that I'm getting the value out of it that I see fit, you know, that I think is reasonable. I really like this idea of like learning the value of the dollar and not just though the value of the dollar, but the value of the things that you do and the value of uh, being able to do something like change the oil. Like I can't change the oil on the car. (laughs) Most people can't. I mean, I haven't done it in a long time. So saying that I can is maybe a bit of a stretch, but 16 year old Tara definitely knew how to change the oil in her car. That's awesome. So yeah, I, yeah and, and I like the idea of, you know, you know, you're also talking about, you know, what other people's time is worth, because I think a lot of the time um, as adults, you know, that's one thing that we do need to keep in mind as far as, you know, um, being polite to other people and, and being kind to other people is understanding, you know, kind of what their time is worth. Yeah. And you never know what someone's going through. I mean, you know, the fact that I, literally had to waitress just to kind of pay the bills and and even help like my stepmom you know pay the bills or put gas in her car once in a while you know when you are a rude customer 
and I'm already kind of having a bad day and I'm putting on a smile because that's what you have to do, it can compound and really snowball for somebody. So it's also made me very aware of how I treat people that are um, providing a service to me and how, you know, I compensate them because I, I know that, you know, most waiters don't get paid very well on, you know, on a, like a W-2 basis. So they have to end up making tips as their primary source of income. Uh, so that really factors into like, if somebody does a great job, I reward them. Absolutely. So I know how hard that job is. Yeah, I'm interested to know how this, um, how this changed your relationship with your stepmom or if it changed it at all. My relationship with my stepmom was never much of a mother-daughter relationship. She's only 17 years older than me. So when my dad was alive, he was, you know, the parent and she was there to kind of help support him in his parenting role, but also be a friend to me and be like a, a older female figure, like a mentor to me. And so when she passed away, we, it kind of very quickly went, it was, it was a sort of a strange dynamic because she's like, okay, well now I'm the parent because I continued to live with her rather than move back in with my mother. So she was the parent now, but she wasn't that much older than me. And she was going through her own grieving process as well. And, you know, we had to use, unfortunately had to use like the social security money that we got from my dad passing away just to keep the mortgage going. Um, so rather than that money being able to save up for college or something, uh, it was going towards basic living expenses. And in that moment, I really kind of disagreed, I guess, with a lot of the decisions that she was making in terms of, you know, what she was doing with her social life and um, ways that she was kind of channeling her own grief. But at the end of the day, she was working two jobs and going back to school so that she could get a better paying job to support me. And um, looking back on it, I mean, I respect her so much now that I'm an adult and have to do all of this stuff. And in the fact that I'm married to and, and, you know, going to be 28 this year, she was only 30 when my dad passed away. And I simply cannot imagine going through something that life changing and transformative at such, you know, at this age, it has evolved over time. I think it was really rocky to start, but now looking back on it, I, I thank her so much for everything that she did for me at the time. I couldn't be more appreciative. And while all of this was going on and you were dealing with it, did uh, you also decided to, you, you were able to find a way to go to college or did you put that off? No, I actually, um, I ended up graduating as valedictorian from my high school class because I channeled literally all of my grief into my work. That's sort of a coping mechanism of mine that is a strength and a weakness. Um, like the day after my dad passed away, I went back to school. I showed up, like I walked through the hallways and people were just like gaping at me because it's a small town where it travels pretty fast in terms of what had happened. But that was where I felt safe. Like I was good at school and I had a couple of friends there and I didn't want to be home thinking about it. And so, you know, I was just able to kind of take my mind off things and, and really put every ounce of energy and effort that I have into making him proud what he would have wanted me to do. It was, it was strange because I, I ended up going to Yale University, which I would have never imagined being able to do from a tiny town in Michigan. It was like mid-December of my senior year of high school. My guidance counselor called me down and she said, you know, we just found out about these incredible need-based financial aid scholarship packages at places like Harvard and Yale. So rather than merit-based based on your grade or, you know, uh, your GPA or something, they're need-based based on uh, your family's income level and your asset levels. And they're like, you know, we know that you've only applied to schools in Michigan because you, you think you need to be able to be close to home and to work and support yourself and, and use the, some of the state scholarships that you've already earned via like your testing scores and everything. But we think you should apply to this because if you did get in, you wouldn't have to pay anything or, or, or very little for such a great education. And so I scrambled and put together these applications really quickly. Um, and I ended up getting into Yale University. And it's sort of this weird kind of catch-22 double-edged sword because 
I went there with absolutely no money and was thrown into this weird kind of socioeconomic environment I had never been a part of where I'm going to school with kids whose parents are actors and CEOs of companies and who they went to private school their whole life. And, and my experience growing up was obviously very different. Um, but at the end of the day, I was able to graduate with no student loans because I, because Yale gave me such an incredible financial aid package. And so that in itself has been an unbelievable learning experience and something that I, again, didn't recognize the value of until I started working and realized that every dollar I was making was mine and I didn't owe anyone anything. Um, and so, you know, that has been just an incredibly transformative thing for me and my finances. And my husband was kind of in the same situation as well. I met him at Yale our freshman year and he ended up graduating with no student loans too. So in that in itself, we almost feel like we have to give back in some way because of how kind of fortunately unfortunate we, we've been in the past. You know, a lot of the time as, as we, you know, I've, I know that in my own life, I've been blessed with opportunities as well. And being able to recognize that, I think, is an important part of being an adult as well and uh, developing empathy for other people. Because a lot of the time we think, oh, well, I did it all on my own. And even though I do work hard and, and I do a lot of things you know, to, to kind of work toward my goals. At the same time, I know that there are lots of other things that have happened in my life to kind of push me forward and help me out in, you know, in ways that, you know, that, that have just been very fortunate for me. And recognizing that I think is also very important. And I love that you, you guys are like ready to give back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, uh, at my college graduation, like party that we had in my hometown, my mom made my cake and she wrote, it takes a village on the top because I, I really do believe that. I mean, there were so many people that were there for me and my family after my dad passed away, you know, just giving me like rides to work. If I honestly didn't have money to put gas in my tank, that happened a few times. Um, or, you know, helping me get from this practice like softball or volleyball to that, um, or, you know, just bringing over food after, you know, because my stepmom was at work and in school all day and they knew that I didn't have any you know thing to cook myself for dinner. There were just so, so many people in our hometown that, did way more and went above and beyond what I would have ever known anyone to do. I, I just feel extremely grateful. And because of that, that, that grace and that gratitude, I, I feel the obligation um, and the desire to give back at such a young age. So talk a little bit about how you're giving back. I mean, we know you have uh, your business where you're helping people with their finances. Um, what, what do you see as, um, as important to you to give back in, in the way that you have benefited Absolutely. So um, I am currently kind of moving into what I call phase two of Rise Up, which is creating these online financial uh, literacy courses. So basic personal finance, but also like investing specific courses too. Um, and one of the things I really am passionate about doing is gifting access to those to people that need it. So um, I'm, you know, have just kind of opened the dialogue with my high school in terms of helping um, the student, current students, and future students to be able to access those courses so that they can learn about money uh, at a young age before it really starts to impact them. And I'm also working with my alma mater, Yale, to help them kind of spread the you know financial literacy um, efforts and initiatives that they're already starting, but help them cast a wider net by gifting access to current students and alumni as well. So that's something I hope I'll be able to do you know this fall or early next year. That sounds really fantastic, and I and I'm so fascinated about um, your what your experience at Yale must have been. Um, you touched on this a little bit. Um, you know, there's uh, a lot of your classmates, obviously, um, 
were not in the same financial uh, situation you were in. What was it like just socializing or, or being surrounded um, in, in this micro community with, with people who have a completely different understanding of uh, financial uh, responsibilities and uh, just, just life, you know, having to live as an adult? Because I think a campus, uh, especially a campus like Yale, is probably a place where a lot of students wouldn't have to really um, be an adult. Uh, but here you are uh, being an adult. So what was that like? It was a shock to start with, to say the least. Um, I, you know, even growing up, you know, the, the most I think that anybody that was like wealthy in our town was their parents were doctors or dentists or it wasn't any sort of like extravagant wealth. And so when I got to Yale, I mean, you're talking about people, you're going to school with with kids who have you know, buildings named after their family or their grandfather or something like that. I mean, it was like next level socioeconomic divide. And um, there are so many different like small examples that I could give in terms of like having to borrow one of my uh, freshman roommates, like white polo, like J crew polos to go to a sorority event because I didn't own a white J, like a white polo or um, having to talk to like when I was going through like the rush process for sororities, like having to ask about payment plans, you know, which was like, what's a payment plan was like kind of the response that I would get from some of them. And, uh, but that was something I obviously had to think about because I couldn't afford to necessarily pay the dues like upfront, um, having to apply to jobs and not just like a job where I'm checking in books at the library or, um, like tutoring other students, but like a job where I'm working the maximum 20 hours a week down at the medical school to not only make an income, but also hopefully get published so that I could go to medical school, which was my original plan. But, you know, it was the kind of thing where like on a Friday, Saturday night, I would be down in my lab, in my office, working until midnight while my other friends were out partying. And uh, luckily my group of friends understood that. But I think a lot of other people in different circles that I was involved in, like, didn't get it. And because of that kind of ostracized me a bit, I think socially, from their groups or like, you know, if I couldn't go to one thing, well, they would just stop inviting me to anything. It was difficult. I mean, it was, it's something that I kind of want to like write a book about eventually, because I think it would really help other low income students or like first generation students at institutions like that, because it is such a, it's, it's a, just a very different challenge that so many of your peers are not going through. And it's something that you can't help. It's something that you can't really do much to change because you're limited in terms of how many hours you can work. And, um, Money's a weird thing. People don't like, like don't like talking about it. It can be very emotional. Obviously, the reason that I was in that position was connected to a very emotional event that happened to me in the past. So it just made for a very different experience. But like I said, I ended up graduating with no student loans, which in this day and age, like hardly anyone can say. And that was such a gift in itself. So, you know, looking back on it, anything that I had to go through was well worth it um, just to just to have that kind of freedom and be in the, you know, be able to be in the financial position that I'm in now because of it. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to go back because you talked about pledging to sorority and <laughs> I'm actually, I'm really kind of interested in like whether that was like worth, worth it to you. Like, do you get any benefits out of something like that? And what kind of financial, I guess, investment is it? <laughs> because, um, you know, cause I, I briefly thought about it, but then it was like, I don't have the time for this, but, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah. So, I mean, I'm kind of interested to know like kind of what are the pros and cons of going that route? For me, I think it was really about kind of finding a group that I felt I fit into at Yale. Because like I said, when I first got there, you know, here I was this like little girl from small town America, 
with maybe 500 bucks to her name or something, trying to make sense of this new world that I had just become a part of something because I had been accepted. And so while I had a, a great group of friends um, that I lived with, if they were busy, I didn't have anybody to hang out with. So I was kind of looking for that, you know, close knit um, kind of sisterhood bond that, that I could establish. And at the time there were three sororities um, on campus at Yale and each one kind of has their own flavor, I guess you could say. And I felt that I fit in uh, best with the Kappa sisters and it ended up being like one of the best experiences ever of my college. I mean, those are the people I always hung out with. Those are so many of them ended up becoming my bridesmaids at my wedding. Um, they're my closest friends still. I actually just went back there last fall to do kind of a financial presentation to the girls that are currently living in the house and, and in the sorority. It just kind of sets you up for, it, it gives you this like support network on campus that you can fall back on. Like if you are struggling with things, there were other girls in the sorority that were kind of in my same financial situation that we could talk about, you know, rather than going out to an expensive dinner or going on an expensive spring break or something like that, we would all just be on campus together. So we would, you know, study together and do things. It, it was something I would have never imagined myself getting into. Like I never thought of myself as like a sorority girl, but I think at, at a place like Yale, it's much more of like a social group rather than, rather than like the, the videos that you see of like this, the very traditional Southern sororities, if you, if you understand what I mean where they're like living in this massive mansion and they're, you know, there are like hundreds of them and they all wear the same colors all the time. <laughs> like it wasn't like that. It was much more of just like a group of girls that were like there to support each other and help in like whatever way to form lifelong bonds. One of the things that I've kind of noticed about your stories, you're talking about this is you, you've talked about support. You talked about the support of your community uh, where they were, you know, giving you rides. And then when you got to Yale, you were looking for the support system. How important is it to have a support system in your life as you're uh, moving through your goals, whether it's for work or for your money or just for your life in general? Um, have you like, how important is that? I think it's huge. Um, when I was younger, I didn't really like asking for help. Um, and so that was something that I really had to learn in terms of just understanding like what my limits are and making sure that if I can't help myself in any way, that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to lean on other people um, because, you know, maybe they don't need your help right now, but in the future, you might be able to help them in some way too. So I'm a big believer in karma and that, you know, you help me like scratch my back, I'll scratch yours eventually. And that good things come to people who do good things. Yeah, support has been huge. I mean, looking back on it for a while when I was like an angsty teenager, I thought that, you know, it, I, I was on it. I was in it all on my own and that I was doing everything by myself. But um, at the end of the day, you know, now that I'm older and wiser, I guess you could say, I look back on it and realize that there are so many things that I could not have done and so many things I could not have accomplished without the help or, you know, a helping hand of someone else. And since um, relationships are such a huge part of being an adult, uh, what was it like meeting meeting your uh, future husband at Yale? Did What was your first uh, money conversation like? <laughs> Our first money conversation is actually really funny um, because my family had always told me, oh, go off to Yale and find some rich boy who, you know, his, his mom's like name is Muffy and his dad's, <laughs> name is, his dad's name is Harold or something. And they like do play tennis in the Hamptons on the weekend. Like oh, that was, what, yeah, that's like and what my, he's my a, and he's Kurt, a the he's, third, right? He's not. Yes. And he's like, you know, something, something, the third, blah, 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 you know? 
Um, and uh, all wrong. I have clearly done it all wrong. <laughs> oh no, my, uh, my that is not my husband. That is not. But that's what my family and friends like. You know, when they're shipping me off to college, they're like, "Oh, you're gonna come home like attached to some like blonde haired, blue eyed, fancy smancy kid like you know only wearing like name brands and who went to private school and, like again whose parent whose mom's name is Muffy or you know something like that." Um, and uh, so I ended up meeting so romantic. I met my husband at like a, a party between my sorority and his fraternity. Uh, he was across the table from me playing flip cup. And so that like started our competitive nature to begin with. <laughs> and uh, I didn't understand it at the time, but the way he tells the story is really funny. He was wearing this like um, pastel yellow polo t-shirt, like crew neck t-shirt. Mm -hmm. And apparently, I didn't know this, but apparently when a guy wears like a brightly colored t-shirt to a party or to an event or something, it's called peacocking because he's like bright, his bright colors, you know, like this, and he's trying to like attract a female or something. So that's the way he described it after. But our first money conversation was pretty funny um, because we were like sitting... It's a funny image, right? The whole peacocking thing. Like, oh, yeah. you know, I've heard of it before, but I, I don't really think about it in terms of our like human interactions. But now I'm thinking back to some of my interactions with men. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Well, I'm actually, now that we mention it, um, I'm going to look for the pe the guys at FinCon that are wearing brightly colored t-shirts. <laughs> let's do that. Let's, we let's do it. <laughs> We're going to have a little thing. Yeah. I don't think I own any brightly colored clothing. That's so. okay. I'm sure PT does. That, I, so. well, you know, that, that, that blue is kind of, is kind oh, of yeah. eye catching. It's like yeah. peacocky color. It definitely peacocking and it brings mm -hmm. out your eyes. It really does bring out the blue of your eyes. It so. Does. You're, that's so, very true. So it's like subconscious peacock. I think we're going to tell Harlan he's peacocking. Yes, oh, no. officially. We've labeled it. Um, well, let's talk about money. Let's go back yeah, to that. So my husband and I, we've probably been dating for like, I don't know, maybe like a month, maybe two. And we were sitting in my residential college having lunch one day. And I told him this story about how like my family had mentioned that, you know, I should go find some rich boy who's like mom's name is Muffy um, to date and, and get my MRS degree, I guess you could call it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was like, Oh, but I, you know, actually I'm on full financial aid and he kind of looks at me and he's like, Oh, I'm on full financial aid too. And so we kind of looked at each other and we're like, Oh, so like the two poor kids at Yale found each other. <laughs> and, but like I said, it ended up working out really well. We, neither of us had student loans. Um, he worked in finance now he's in the Navy. So, uh, we both kind of were able to start our careers and, you know, every dollar we made was ours and it was ours to keep and do with what we will. And that's, you know, made us extremely successful. And in a very short period of time. So uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. But he, I, I think I was also attracted to him because he wasn't, well, he might have been peacocking. He wasn't like flaunting <laughs> money. You know what I mean? Like so many, unfortunately, so many of uh, the people that I went to school with, like maybe weren't like, I don't know, purposely flaunting, but maybe they didn't realize that to somebody like me, the kind of bag that they carry or the kind of clothes that they always wear or shoes that they wear or the way that they talk about going to like Ibiza for spring break or, you know, something like that is like flaunting. Um, but he never did that. And so I think that was something that obviously we probably kind of subconsciously got along with or like resonated with each other very early on. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's great <laughs> that it worked out that way. Um, and I would say that there's probably, there were probably more, um, less wealthy people at, at Yale. Um, there's probably, you know, uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine there's a lot of pressure to kind of fit in with that whole or what they think is that whole 
you know, like Yale identity. Uh, and that can be that can be kind of difficult to live up to if if you're not comfortable with yourself as as you are. And if you feel like you have to fit in, but you struggle to do that. Yeah, I definitely don't want to give the impression that like every student that goes to Yale is extremely wealthy. There is a significant portion. I think it's something like 85% or maybe even more of students are on some kind of financial aid. Uh, I don't know what the percentage of that get full financial aid like I did. Um, I would imagine it's much lower. But um, no, a lot of the people I ended up kind of getting roomed with my freshman year or lived around with were um, from similar-ish backgrounds, maybe not as like dire financial circumstances as I was in sometimes, but, you know, parents that were making like a moderate low to mid level income, definitely not like, you know, people whose parents were CEOs or anything. I think they probably somehow strategically room you with people that are like you, or at least have similar backgrounds, but then they also mix them in. Like I was, it was a group of six of us, I think when we first started our freshman year and there was a a decent mix. Like I would say four of us kind of could understand each other financially and two of us were a little bit higher onto the spectrum, but, um, but that's okay. Cause you learn a lot. Like it allowed me to see what was possible because where I come from, like I said, you know, like you in nothing against it, but like becoming a teacher or becoming a dentist or becoming a doctor is like a really good thing to do. And you have a very comfortable income. So that's what I thought was what success was. And, um, I had never had any sort of exposure to the financial industry at all. And then here I was, you know, meeting people whose parents worked on wall street, or, you know, upper level classmen who were doing internships at investment banks or hedge funds. And so it got me really interested, like, well, what is that? And learned that, you know, not only can you make money, but you can learn how to manage it too. And how to make, you know, trade instead of trading your time for money, trading your money for money and putting it to work for you. On the one hand, it was a bit of a struggle socially, but I think it really opened my eyes to this entire other world that I had never been privy to before. And not to spoil your future book, but what what are some of the things that you would tell incoming freshmen who uh, might not fit in with that type of culture? What what do they need to know to succeed in college? Well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit ago in terms of, you know, be comfortable with yourself. Don't feel like you have to be someone else because that's exactly how I felt when I first got there. Like I said, I was borrowing friends' shirts because that's what I thought that I should wear. I remember my Yale interview where I, it was like an alumni in Michigan like interviewed me before I had even been accepted. I'll tell you what I wore, and it's hilarious. So I thought that like it, you know if you go to a place like Yale that you should be wearing like khaki pants, like nice shoes, a button down like long sleeve shirt with some kind of like sweater sweater vest over top of it. <laughs> right with glasses like that's what I thought like a typical Yale student looks like which I was so far off once I got there thank goodness but um but yeah I borrowed like a a button-up t-shirt from one friend I borrowed like a nice like Abercrombie sweater from another friend and I walked in this this interview like so uncomfortable because that's not how I dress that's not you know that's not what I that's not who I am and it was me telling her my story that really resonated with her, not like what I looked like on the outside. And so I think that the biggest lesson is just be yourself, understand that people, you know, go through different things growing up, but at the same time, you all ended up in the same place for a reason. Um, And to never feel like you're less than, than anyone else, that you don't belong somewhere um, because you just didn't have the same experiences as someone. Like, obviously, you know, if a place like Yale is willing to admit you, they see potential in you. And it's your job to kind of dig deep and find that potential and pull it out and use it in whatever way that you will. I remember there was this one time I was sitting in a chemistry section, like on a Tuesday night, maybe like a month into school. 
and I had only taken one semester of chemistry because my school didn't really offer like a full on like AP chemistry course or anything. And, um, I was sitting there and like all these other students were able to raise their hand and answer questions. Like they already knew so much about chemistry and I just felt dumb. I, I literally asked myself like, what am I doing here? So combine that with, you know, the socioeconomic pressures, like feeling intellectually less than as well. Like I hadn't been prepared as well as other people had. And it was at that moment that I was like, you know what? I can either sink or swim right now. I make that decision. I'm either going to let this bother me or I can use it as fuel for my fire. And I ended up letting it, you know, be fuel. And I ended up graduating with very, very successful GPA. I was like published in an article for like a med school journal all this other stuff and ended up landing a job on wall street with absolutely no money experience in my background. I graduated with a Spanish degree. So if that gives you any kind of insight into, uh, <laughs> the like preparedness I had for wall street. Um, so obviously I was there for a reason. I was doing something right. And yeah, just, just trust in your own abilities, trust in why you're where you are and don't, don't ever let anybody let you feel or, or don't, don't ever let yourself let you feel like you're less than anyone else. Yeah, I'm amazed that you just you basically on a dime turned around and said, you know what, I'm not going to let this bother me. I'm going to, you know, go out and prove to everybody and to myself that I belong here and I'm going to do really well. And it's, it's really hard to come to that conclusion without, without either hitting rock bottom or without some kind of impetus to, to, to force you to do that. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's amazing. Just wanted to say that. Thank you. I think as far as like the rock bottom goes, I mean, yeah. losing your dad at 13 years old, yeah. I think was really probably my rock bottom. Um, you know, being 13 is hard enough. Being a teenager is hard enough and to have to do it without, you know, like your hero and who you, somebody that you really admired. And especially like dating as a girl without your father was like mm-hmm. so strange. I mean, just all the social things that I had to go through in that realm too was really difficult. And there was like, they, there were moments too when my dad passed where I was like, okay, you can, there are two paths. You can either let this control your life and just say, well, I've been handed really awful cards. I've been dealt a really terrible hand in life and, you know, therefore like wallow in it and not do anything with your life instead. And people would totally understand like, and, and you, and it's justified. I mean, it takes a lot of strength and courage to get through something like that. And I could have just as, just as easily, probably even easier uh, or more easily could have just said, you know what, screw it. I, I'm, you know, not destined for anything. I have this horrible experience in my past. I'm going to just do nothing with my life. I'm just going to kind of skate by because that's the safe route, right? Like that's, that's the easy thing to do. And nobody would think less of me for it because of, you know, what I've gone through or this other choice was like, or I can channel this grief into something really positive, turn this negative experience into something, you know, that I can be proud of and that he would have been proud of. And so there was a moment like that too, like when I was um, in like early high school where I had to make that decision and I, I just had to like, you know, pick up my bootstraps and just be like, all right, you know, I'm not going to let you drown. Like you're, you're going to do this and you're going to do it like to the utmost of your ability. And because that's what he would have wanted. That's what he would have expected of me. He was not like a military sergeant, you know, uh, father, but he was, he was stern and he had, he was very intelligent, had very high expectations of me. And, um, I wouldn't have wanted to like disappoint him in that either. So I think that's maybe like one of the things that I have been particularly good at without even recognizing I've done it is getting into those situations and making a split decision of like, no, you know, preventing myself, like, no, you're not going to do this. You're going this way. 
and running with it. And I think that's a really um, important thing to be able to do as like a young adult is to recognize those moments in your life, grasp them by the reins and run with that. Sometimes it's hard to gather that strength. How, how do you think, um, how can someone do that if, if perhaps they don't have such a strong, um, you know, major emotional force pushing them? How do you gather that strength when you know you need it? I think, you know, um, I relied on people that were around me. I knew that I had, at least in high school, especially I had a support system. I had a safety net. If, if anything bad were to have happened to me, my stepmom would have been there. My grandparents would have been there. My mom would have been there. My sister, um, you know, anybody in the community, my friends, their parents, I mean, so many people that if something bad had like really happened, then um, I had that, that safety net or that, that rock to kind of push off of. But I think otherwise it's, it's kind of just some soul searching and some self-talk. Like I talk to myself a lot and probably comes off really strange to neighbors if they can hear me. Um, but, but I have conversations with myself because sometimes you have to talk about it out loud and, and there may be certain things that you're not comfortable with emotionally talking to someone else about. But if you just hear yourself say it out loud, sometimes you can, you can recognize when you're being maybe a little, a little crazy or you know, maybe you're not giving yourself enough credit or something like that. But I also think like finding, you know, friends that you can really confide in, like one girl or a couple of girls that I went to, to high school with that I've been friends with since like elementary school or middle school are still to this day people that I call and just bounce things off of. Or I say, you know what, I'm having a really hard time with this and I can be vulnerable with them because they know me, they've known me for so long. And so I don't mind, you know, letting them, giving them like a peek into the inside of my brain or the inside of my heart because I know that they're there to, to help me. And um, so I think that's been really crucial too, is just having a few really, really close friends that um, are there that you can talk to and that will help you through those times. What's the last conversation you had with yourself out loud? <laughs> so um, recently, because I'm like on work workcation, I call it in, uh, in San Diego for a little bit. So while I'm here, it's I, I'm, the point of me being here is for my creative process, to being in a creative space. I'm also studying for this like crazy exam in about a month. And, um, so conversations I've had with myself recently have been like, no, you need to study for this because you don't know fixed income securities as well as you should. Right. Like stupid things or like talking about, like talking out loud about a process of, you know, how to, how to value some bond or like stuff like that, or imagining pitching my future platform for rise up to potential investors. That's something I do a lot because I think that, especially when you're an entrepreneur, you have this idea in your head about this amazing thing that you could create. But if you can't relay that to someone else in a way that is uh, profound and attractive enough for them to like open their wallet for you, potentially, um, it's not going to resonate with anybody. So I have like, I'll find myself like losing 30 minutes of time, pretend talking to like potential investors about this business that I want to create and why they should invest in me and, and why I have to like quit this, you know, kind of part-time job that I have on the side because I want to pursue this passion and, um, yeah, so those are, those are the kind of conversations I have lately a lot. That's really awesome. <laughs> it's gotta be fun to hear. <laughs> they're fun. Well, they're confidence building too, right? Like, it, like I said, if you can sometimes like, especially being an entrepreneur, what you're doing is can, can be kind of daunting. And I think that whenever you're facing, uh, you know, crossroads and you're not sure which path to take, or you're, you're not sure how to confidently take that step forward. If you can kind of give yourself a pep talk and like convince yourself, like, no, I'm awesome. This is a great idea you should be good going forward. There's this, uh, you've probably seen it was like super viral a while ago. There was this YouTube video about this little girl who like stands in front of the mirror and she goes like, 
yes, I'm awesome. Like I'm going to do this. Yes, we can. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. It's quite (laughs) funny. Um, but I kind of like just have those sorts of conversations with myself. I'll do some, like, I'll like do some burpees or I'll do like do some pushups or like jump up and down, or I'll like sing a crazy loud, like song at the top of my lungs, like just something to like get it out. Right. Like just something to feel human and feel alive. I think that's what it really comes down to is like feeling connecting with like your inner self and feeling like you are an individual and you have talent and you have things that you can do and give to the world and really running with it. I think, I think for a long time I was afraid of what I'm capable of. Oddly enough, like obviously I was like valedictorian. So you wouldn't think that that's something I would say. Um, But I was, I think that for a long time I, I felt like maybe it's because of where I come from that I was limited in terms of what I could accomplish or who I could become. And, um, my husband has been a really big part in that because he like, doesn't care what anybody thinks he's like an Italian from Jersey. So he's very opinionated. Um, he's got his own kind of his own perspective on the world. Um, but he, he's like my biggest cheerleader. He is, he'll tell me straight to my face, like, Tari, you're being ridiculous. Like you can absolutely do this. Come on. You know? And, and so he has really gotten me out of my comfort zone and made me realize that, I am, in, you know, just as capable as anyone else of creating anything I want to do or, you know, or, or helping people in a way that I want to help them. So that's, that's been huge. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a great way to think about it. And so can you tell us again where our listeners and watchers can find you and your, um, your classes and your resources online? Absolutely. So um, my website is riseupllc.com, R-E-I-S-U-P-L-L-C.com. Um, also on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Oh, and YouTube. You can find all my free videos on YouTube. Uh, awesome. Great. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. This is uh, this is really cool to hear your story. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Listeners and uh, watchers, be sure to tune in again for more adulting.tv live. And if you've got questions, if you've got topic ideas, go to adulting.tv slash ask. Let us know. We'll film a video or we'll uh, do a podcast or write articles and address whatever it is that you have have in your mind so subscribe to us on youtube and visit us at adulting.tv thank you thank you for listening to adulting find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv 